All right, this is Mel Majoris, another episode of Radio Soup, and I am so excited. We're talking to Scott Turow, his latest book, The Last Trial. I just finished it yesterday. You know, if you're going to be, since you're home during the pandemic, everyone's binge-watching, I say get a book, and this is the one to read. Um, am I right, Scott? This is the one. Uh, my, my publishers certainly <laughs> think that that's correct, yes. Uh, and thank you for saying it. So yeah, it was it um, was definitely a page turner. Good, that that was the goal. I'm glad to hear you say that. So tell me a little bit about how you decided on writing about this story, because I know you have. I mean, I, I believe most everyone has seen Presumed Innocent, which is your probably your most right. recognized book slash movie to date. Correct, yes. totally correct. So Sandy Stern, who was the main character in the last trial was Rusty Savage's defense lawyer in Presumed Innocent, and he was played by the magnificent Raul Julian. So just to locate locate the character in space and time in people's memories. And I have a special fondness for Stern. You know, he's a lawyer's lawyer, and he's made an appearance in virtually every novel that I have written, sometimes mentioned only in a sentence or two, sometimes appearing as a vexing opposing counsel. (laughs) But the the last time he had a large role was in a novel I published about 10 years ago called Innocent, which was a sequel to Presumed Innocent. And Stern, again, was in his role as a defense lawyer, and he had cancer. Why exactly? I can't explain. But he had... An advanced, you know, metastatic disease, lung, non-small cell lung cancer. And he was able to try the case, but he wasn't doing terribly well. He had a horrible rash on his face as a reaction to one of the forms of chemo. And his suits looked like, you know, you could fit two of them inside. And many readers who share my fondness for Sandy Stern wrote and said, is, is Stern going to die Tell me Stern isn't going to die. And I instinctively responded, no, 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 Stern's not going to die. But when I finished my last novel, which was three years ago, where Stern appears as a guest at a party that the narrator attends, he's mentioned in a single sentence as Sandy Stern, who is living in the alternate universe of cancer, <laughs> cancer, cancer remission. And... And I started to say to myself, so what would account for somebody with such advanced disease being in such good shape, you know, so many years after the fact? Not that it's impossible, but, and I said to myself, well, maybe there's some new therapy that he's received. There have been, we all know there have been huge advances. Yes. Uh, Especially in cancer. In lung cancer. Treatment. Yes. So I thought, well, you know, maybe there's been something incredible that's come along. And that's what got my mind in the, in the vein of cancer research, cancer, cancer drugs and pharmaceuticals and pharmaceutical companies. And ultimately, as this works out, Stern is defending a longtime friend, Kirill Pafko, who's not quite as old as Stern is now. Stern's 85, Kirill's 78. But, you know, they're both approaching the ends of their lives. And Kirill's a former Nobel Prize winner in medicine, but he has been charged by the government with racketeering, murder, mail fraud, insider trading. And because he was the discoverer 
this wonder drug, G-Livia, which is a very effective therapy for many people, but which also, in a smaller population, causes a serious uh, adverse reaction, leading to, in many cases, anaphylactic death. And another is an allergic, an allergic reaction that kills people because it comes on so spontaneously. And so Stern, however, and this answers the question of how we could be doing so well so many years along. Right. Stern has been on this medication since it was available for human use, even in the experimental stages. And it has saved his life. And effectively, Kirill says to him, I, in my professional life, because he was the treating physician, I, in my professional life, have saved your life. Now you, in your professional capacity, do your best to save mine. So Stern, largely against the advice of his daughter, who was his law, law partner, takes on what's going to be, you know, the last, the last big case of his life, and agrees to defend Kirill against this array of charges. So I don't know how many different questions I just answered. <laughs> it's a great story. It is. It, it, so. it kept me riveted and. Especially in, and I hate to use the pandemic, but we're all, a lot of people are doing the stay home, stay safe. There's, you know, there's only so many puzzles you can do. There's only so many breads you can bake. Reading a good book like The Last Trial will actually take you somewhere. It took me right into the courtroom. I felt like I was sitting in the jury box listening to Sandy Stern talk about the case. Well, you know. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Um, you know, that, 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 as I say, you know, that, that's always what the author is hoping right. to accomplish. You know, sometimes you get closer or further from success, but, you know, the reaction to this novel thus far has been really outstanding. And, and it know, just came out yesterday, right? Came out on Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. my mistake. And, uh, How are your sales going so far? You know, I, I have friends who are novelists who sit and look at the Amazon top 100, <laughs> right. and they just hit the refresh button all day long. They don't do anything else but watch their book bob up and down like a cork in the sea. <laughs> and to me, it's the pathway to madness. I was told yesterday that it was number one on one of the Amazon lists. I, I, I don't know if it was legal thrillers or two on the second one and three three on probably the mystery list. So yeah, uh, I certainly of, haven't seen it haven't seen it myself because That'll I'm, drive you crazy. It it'll drive you nuts and you know, talk about something that is completely beyond your control. You know, that is it. I mean all I can do is do what I'm doing now, which is to talk to you about my book. But, you know, that may get the book into the hands of the first group of readers. But, you know, ultimately the life of a book depends on what people say about it to other people they know. Word of mouth is far and away oh, yes. um, the main marketing tool. You know, you, you can't create that. So we will see. As I said, the reviews have been stellar. The New York Times and the Washington Post and the Chicago Tribune. So, you know, the Wall Street Journal actually reviewed it nicely last weekend. So that piece of it has gone as well as possible. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. It, it, certainly I know that the, you know, the, 
chief sales guy at Grand Central was... Uh, He's pressing was, the buttons every five seconds. Yeah, so he probably <laughs> is. He was really happy last I heard from him. So Now, uh, what are you doing to uh, keep yourself sane during this these crazy times, if I may ask? You, you're, you're more than welcome to ask. We are down in Naples, Florida. Oh, nice. So... On the Lanai near Innes, somewhere down there? Yes. Uh, <laughs> we're not... We're not in quite as ritzy a neighborhood as Sandy Stern finds uh, one of the government's main witnesses who's agreed <laughs> to talk to him. And the uh, it, we live in a, uh, I won't say shabbier, but a, a humbler part of town than Ennis McVie, who's gotten rich on the initial public offering for, you know, that, that accompanied the right. approval of G. Livia. And uh, she's living in a $10 million house on the Gulf. And, uh, you're, I take, you're adjacent, Gulf adjacent. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I, I, and I take tremendous amusement out of the fact that Sandy Stern really hates Florida, uh, <laughs> despises it. And, you know, and I'm, I, we've been coming down here now for four years. I, I have to say that I came down the first time with an attitude not that much different than Stern's. <laughs> But, you know, you, you cannot uh, fault the weather, which is spectacular, right. or the beaches. And it's been a great place to ride out the storm, particularly because the governor down here, for better or for worse, has never prohibited outdoor activities. Right. So, you know, we're able to escape occasionally and play golf or tennis. We've given a pickleball because we think that's... It's a little too much close contact. But, you know, the problem for me has been that I am writing less than I would have expected with all this enforced isolation. And all I can say in a a reference that obviously dates me is that uh, it's like having somebody in the next room playing a scratched record and <laughs> yes. it either it either skips or repeats and it you know it's impossible to concentrate that is you know that is the way the pandemic or as i sometimes call it the the damn-demic <laughs> i has, like that uh, well has, i mean but it's okay not to be uh doing anything because you know because i know a lot of people like you feel they should be doing something but you know these are strange times it's all right if you just go golfing or sit with your wife or whatever. That's fine. Yeah, I'm, you know, I've written, I've done a lot of uh, writing of shorter pieces. Uh, I did a piece for, you know, the Vanity Fair website about the Trump tax case. And Mm -hmm. I I wrote a piece for the Washington Post about my my son texted me one morning and said, Dad, this is, this is, you know, your day has come. Uh, This is an article you have, were born to write bring back the handkerchief because, (laughs) you know, I was raised to always have a handkerchief in my back pocket. That was what my mom taught me. And it's pretty useful. That handkerchief is doggone useful in the days of COVID. So, and I've I've done, you know, what I'd call occasional writing, but novel that I want to work on, you know, I haven't, I know when I look back, we're going to leave Naples and go back to the Midwest in a couple of weeks. And when I look back at what I've gotten done in the last six months, I'll see, well, you know, there's really a lot there. Right. Um, and mostly it's because I've just poked at it consistently. 
but I have not been as productive as I thought I should. Now, I know you said before the show that I could ask about this. You wrote, I believe it was 1L, was yes. talked about doing a series or yep. miniseries. Yep. Was, I mean, no, obviously, they, with, with everything that went on with production stopped, is there any news on that? or? Yeah, the, the news is that that particular project is dead. Um, and it had nothing to do with the virus. We wrote a script, and a wonderfully talented young writer named Jill Abenati took the laboring oar on it. We got a good script, but you know it was not right for the network that had paid for the script, Freeform. So you know there there that sits. Ironically, that was the fourth separate time oh. that one out has been optioned for a weekly television show. And, you know, maybe somebody, someday somebody will get it right. I take great amusement on the, out of the, on the fact that the second serious effort to do this involved a guy named Tom Noonan, who ended up as the president of Par- the Paramount Network. And, um, and involved on, in the project were a bunch of young executives who have now gone on to you know, great things like, you know, David Nevins, who ran Showtime and mm-hmm. is, you know, and John Landgraf, who runs FX. So I got to meet a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of important executives, but the, you know, but the project ultimately did not get off the ground. And there, as I said, there have been subsequent efforts. And I thought, frankly, we did really well at CBS probably about 12 years ago. And my friend Mark Frost, who was the showrunner on Twin Peaks, right. and you know, this successful, very successful book writer as well, you know, came in and did a great job of doctoring a script that Mike Robe and I had written first, and you know, but it didn't it, it didn't work for CBS at the time, mostly because there was still a lot of eyeballs on Monday Night Football, right? And so. That in the show that we wrote was with 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 a female lead, by the way, oh. still wasn't female oriented enough for the audience that Les thought he was going to have Les Moonves. Right. So you know that's happened. You know you go. To, I, there's a reason I don't live in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. I, you, you don't have to tell me. I've been out, and, of the, out of the business for like ten years now, so I know. I hear you. It's just like you just can't get too carried away with that stuff. You. You know, you do it, you cash the checks when they come in, but they don't, I, I they just, don't pick up your show, but then they, they, uh, redo a game show from like 30 years ago and they're like, what? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't try to make sense of those <laughs> decisions because. Exactly. Um, well, you never know because you know, all of the networks now have their own apps and their own little channels. So right. one of those guys yeah, might be knocking on your door again saying, Hey, Peacock yeah. or CBS channel might, you, you, might need you. You never, you never know. You never know. But, and, you know, so, so it goes, I had one project that got as far as a pilot being filmed, oh, and, nice. you know, but it didn't get picked up. Right. And, you know, by the time you get a pilot filmed, you, you're pretty close to having threaded the eye of the needle, you know, didn't, didn't mm-hmm. go show with, uh, involving another lifetime friend of my wife's did go and <laughs> didn't stay on the air more than <laughs> Two weeks, and I'm like, well, maybe they should have picked up our show. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, it's it's a crapshoot. It, Hollywood it's a, is a big crapshoot. It, 
it is it is just you know just drop the ball in the roulette, roulette wheel and mm -hmm. see where it lands exactly. and much rather write novels oh, yeah. where i have control over everything creatively i always say that once you've seen a movie or a tv show made you know that there will always be novelists because <laughs> people are going to want that zone of exclusive control yes that that a writer has over over a book you know and i for better or for worse i mean there's a lot to be said for collaboration and anything that you see in film and you know this mel anything mm -hmm. on film is really a a product of of collaboration right. but you know and i that you can look at plenty of TV shows and check out who wrote this week's episode and know that, you know, what came out of the writer's room yes. was probably enhanced by having many hands on it. But for better, for worse, the last trial, every single word of it is my work uh, mm -hmm. and my vision. And it's a good and, book. And it's one of the first books since I got a review copy that was a PDF. I have it on my, my Kindle. I was able to load it on there, so it's it's a good it's a good thing for that too. I'm I'm more of a real book person. My parents had a yep. used bookstore growing up, so I like the actual feel of a book. But you know, it's still a quick, good read on a on a Kindle as well. It's, yeah, it's good. Great. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear it. And uh, locally, so. you can pick up the last trial at McLean and Aiken and Petoskey. And you know, like you said, you have Amazon out there, but you know, Amazon isn't going to go away. But your local bookseller might. So. I say yes. go to them, if you're, even if you're homebound. I'm sure there's a friend of yours who can pick up the book for you and drop it off at your house, no touch, no contact. Or, or the store will do that for the, you. Yes, yeah, some stores or, will do that for you as well. You know, that's or worse comes to worse, they will mail it to you. Exactly. And, you know, local bookstores are the cultural lifeblood of the literary community in the United States. I agree. And... Um, and it's really true for a couple of reasons. One is that, you know, uh, somebody who's blessed in the way I am to be able to refer to himself as a best-selling author has the endorsement of, you know, of Amazon. And Amazon has always sold a lot of my books and they appear to be doing a great job of it again. But the new voices don't get the same opportunities right. and most people who break through have broken through because there's been a coterie of independent booksellers acting independently who say to their customers whose reading taste they know here try this I read this over the weekend I thought it was great and I was sitting there thinking man this is a book that George is gonna like exactly and uh, and the other thing that of course that goes on in a bookstore that's that's hard to replace is that you can bring your children in there exactly and they they get to understand what a new book looks and feels like and smells like oh there's nothing and, like it nothing you know they can certainly go to the library and go to the children's section if they're lucky enough to live in a community with a good library and one with a children's section, but it's not the same uh, experience of, you know, being able to look at a book and look, you sit on the floor and, mm -hmm. you know, mommy, I want to buy this. Uh, exactly. And, uh, you know, it becomes very special at that point. And you're inculcating, you know, the, the, the reading and the, the book buying habit right there. Oh yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite things, just even just to go in a bookstore and just, 
look at books and be like, oh, I need to get this later, you know, even if I don't have the wherewithal right now, or you're busy, and it's like, oh yeah, I can bookmark that later, or like you said, if you go to your local bookstore, you know all the people work there, hey, Greg likes these books, I, you know, I, I'm kind of like-minded like Greg, let's, let's buy The Last Trial, because we have similar tastes. Right, so, and that's irreplaceable. Exactly. You know, Amazon cannot do that for you. Exactly. Your children cannot sit on the floor of your computer uh, and thumb through books. And if when we you, get if the, we, I don't want to be in that world if that happens. Let's right. So, something. you know, independent stores have made a nice comeback because people have come to appreciate the value added. Uh, and now we have to keep our fingers crossed that they make it through this crisis. So, exactly. you know, um, I... I you can buy my book wherever you want to buy my book. I will be grateful to you no matter what. But if you go to an independent store to buy it, I will be doubly grateful. Exactly. So. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being like your 50 billionth interview for your the last <laughs> trial. <laughs> um, and I'm looking forward to your next book whenever that may be. Well, that'll, that'll be a while yet. Right. But, uh, It'll, it will arrive. So as I like to say, Mel, I'm too old for them to stop me now. So exactly. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep writing. And uh, I can see that this book has done well enough that the publisher will be interested in another one. So At least he's not saying, how, how come you haven't written anything since your book is doing well? So. Right. So <laughs> thank you very much for your time. I'm really grateful. Thank so. you so much, Scott.